Hi, this is Jeff Thigpen, Guilford County Register of Deeds. And I'm Carly Malcolm, lead for North Carolina Fellow for Guilford County from the UNC School of Government. And welcome to the Good Grief Podcast. Have you ever lost a loved one and had to figure out what to do? Have you ever felt alone and overwhelmed? Did it make you wonder why on earth this is all so complicated? In this podcast series, we bring together community partners to talk unapologetically about issues of death and dying. We answer questions about funerals, hospice, estates, and more to give our listeners the knowledge they need to make decisions for themselves and their loved ones. We want everyone in Guilford County to know that they're supported, that we live in a community where we cannot only live and live well, but when we die, we can also die well because we care. So we thank you for joining us for the Good Grief Podcast and for taking this step to be better prepared for end-of-life challenges. Welcome to the Good Grief Podcast. I'm Jeff Thigpen, Guilford County Register Deeds, with Carly Malcolm with me, who is the Lead for NC Fellow from the North Carolina Institute of Government. Hello, Carly. Hi, Jeff. Today we have a special guest. I think every week I'm doing this, I say it's a special <laughs> guest. and so, uh, But you're special, uh, and I want to make sure we get it all out of you today. And so I'm glad to have Wendy Cutler with us, who is the Executive Director of the Carolina Foundation for Jewish Seniors. She moved to Greensboro with her husband Ivan in 1989 from San Francisco. She is a consultant. She is a community leader. She's on the Guilford County Commission on Aging, the Greensboro Commission on the Status of Women, with a lot of volunteer experience within our community with a lot of organizations. Thank you, Wendy, for being with us today. When I spoke to you a few weeks ago on the phone and we first started talking about end-of-life issues and serious illness, I kind of saw in you that you are like a Jacqueline of all trades in that you see so many different sides to issues that come up related to aging. You know it on the ground, and you have personal experience in dealing with it, and you also have an understanding of the bureaucracy and the hurdles that people face when they're dealing with these kinds of decisions, and you have a real passion for it. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me, (laughs) Carly, Jeff. um, I really look forward to this. Jeff, everybody is special. (laughs) Amen. That's right. Well, tell me, where did this passion begin to develop related to your work with seniors? And talk about the North Carolina Serious Illness uh, Coalition Task Force, that group. But where did all this start? I think it started in childhood. I had wonderful parents that believed very strongly in family. And at the time when I was very young, we were in Sacramento. The whole family was in San Francisco. But there was never a month that went by that we didn't stop and see each other at least once and have every family holiday dinner together and things like that. And I developed a very, very close relationship to my grandparents. I revered them. I always respected them. I loved them. One of the worst things you could do to me if I had done something wrong in my parents' eyes was to threaten to tell my grandparents. I never wanted to disappoint them. And I think that in itself started this lifelong situation that I wasn't even aware of until the last 20 years or so of compassion for our older people. And so that transformed itself into actual work. It did in a very roundabout, serendipitous way. Our daughter was about to begin kindergarten. I had stayed home with her for those first four or five years. And a friend said to me, hey, I've got a great job opportunity for you. 
And it was right when Carolina Foundation for Jewish Seniors was getting its foot on the ground. It has grown tremendously since then. And as it's grown, my abilities and my feelings have grown as well. Could you tell us a bit about like the goals of the foundation and what you do there, who you fund? Well, in order to tell you the goals, I, I kind of have to tell you a little bit about our history. We began as the Blumenthal Jewish Home for the Aged in Clemens on the Yadkin River. And from the, the early 60s till the late 90s, we were a nursing facility. It started out predominantly for the Jewish faith people because there was no Jewish nursing home between Richmond and Atlanta. So this was chosen for that location because it could serve North and South Carolina. Everything changed, and as more residential facilities and adult living communities and what have you came about, fewer people were sending their loved ones to nursing homes in one location so far away. They were keeping them closer to home. That combined with Medicaid, which then opened the doors to people of all faiths, created a situation where because we still maintain the fact that once you entered the doors of Blumenthal Jewish Home for the Aged, you could stay as long as you lived or until you chose to leave, regardless of your ability to pay. Because of those values, we found ourselves losing considerable amounts of money. So the board at the time had wonderful wisdom and said, we still need to serve this Jewish aging population, but we need to do it in a different way. That is when they created Carolina Foundation for Jewish Seniors, and they said, we will be a grant-making foundation. Okay. We will find other nonprofits that work directly with the Jewish senior population in North and South Carolina. So for the past 14 years, we receive grant applications on an annual basis from organizations throughout North and South Carolina. And to date, we have awarded over $3 million in grants to these organizations. Wow. Yeah, and I was looking at your website, and you cover a lot of areas from Alzheimer's and memory loss to case management, mental health counseling, wellness. And I was seeing, you know, you had, of course, Greensburg in there, but you had uh, Asheville, Raleigh, Winston, Charleston, South Carolina. So you all uh, award these grants to a number of different organizations, as we're saying, in North and South Carolina. Right. And we're constantly reaching out, trying to find other pockets where we haven't represented ourselves well enough. The original vision was to be a nursing home with, without walls. But what we have found as time has evolved is needs have changed. You know, initially we were kind of like, oh, we'll just provide grants to their lunch and learns or whatever they have. But obviously, as time has gone on, we have found that the needs are much greater in what we call the case management or social work areas. So we now focus the majority of our funds in those areas. And so then you're also a member of the task force on serious illness care. Could you talk about your role there? Sure. That was a task force that was put together by the North Carolina Institute of Medicine. And it was a one-year task force, which we completed our job back in, I think, January. And they found out that there are a number of players around the state, which is typical throughout the rest of the country, I assume that they know their own area very well. People tend to work in their own silos, but they don't always know what the other person's needs are or how to best serve that area. So this task force was put together to try and find out where 
improvements can be made in treating the individuals with serious illness care, whether they're a newborn or an end-of-life senior. Mm -hmm. And it was quite rewarding. It was very gratifying to be in with a group of professionals that are mostly the the boots-on-the-ground people, the physicians, the medical care providers, the case management people, the social workers, the DHHS people, that type of thing. And I felt so honored to be included because I'm not in those categories. So I walked in and represented myself as one of the individuals needing the services. That task force completed its job, came up with a series of recommendations, which the NCIOM just published in a book recently. And out of that, the North Carolina Serious Illness Coalition was formed. Many of us felt our job is not done. So we're continuing to move ahead and try to make sure that information is more readily available, that people have access to it, that the individuals, that's the key part, is that the individuals know what's out there, what they should think about, what they should put in place, all those things. Yeah, and we've interviewed the Seviers who are part of that coalition. I think it's like a 75-page report that they came up with with a lot of very specific recommendations as it would relate to, say, uh, North Carolina DHHS, as well as recommendations for the General Assembly to consider. And it sounds like in your comments, when you kind of came into this work by being in the position you were in, you almost learned how to be an effective case manager of the case managers, (laughs) you know, and seeing it through the eyes of a person who's going through the system. And that's probably served you very well. That's an interesting way of putting it. I have (laughs) never thought of it that way. Because what I love to do is put people with the right information and the right person to provide that information. Yeah. So tell me, what do you see as some of the main issues and challenges that you come across in either the work with the foundation and or, you know, your consultative work in terms of dealing with seniors who are dealing with serious illness? With serious illness, it sort of falls into the whole gambit. Some of the aged folks that I work with on an individual basis in my private consultation practice, they have no clue. They have not thought about things in many cases. Some are very astute. Some know about an organization called Five Wishes, where you can get a booklet that will walk you through, you know, step by step, what you need to do, who you need to make sure has the information, that type of thing. Also, the Mind My Health that the Seviers are part of. That organization has has a wonderful website where you can, for free, upload your documents, and then through a password, you or your designated representative can easily download them if there's an emergency. But what I have found in the aging population is, like many of us, nobody wants to think of their own longevity. They don't want to think about what's going to happen to me. You know, everybody thinks that they'll just close their eyes one day and be gone, but they don't stop and think that there could be a couple days or there could be years in between getting to that process from when they became ill. So I try to encourage everybody to make sure that their wishes for how they are cared for or not cared for, medically, spiritually, you know, in any way are known to the people that they want to represent them, whether it be family or a friend or whoever, that it is in writing, that they have completed what's called advanced care planning documents, their medical powers of attorney, their most forms that the hospitals frequently use, you know, all these different legal forms that medical people would be required by law to follow. And if you don't have them in place, 
then it's a whole different story because the medical profession has to do by law whatever they can to try and bring you back to good health again. And it may not be what your wishes are right. in that situation. Right. And so when we're talking about the Jewish population, are there any aging or end-of-life issues that are specific to that community? For the majority, everything is the same. Now, the most important thing within the Jewish community is to make sure that if they have specific religious values and desires, that those are recognized. You know, sometimes they want to make sure that the rabbi or, or a cantor or some other person can be there to perform certain prayers and blessings for them. Sometimes they may have a wish that once they pass, that they're taken care of by what's called a team called the Hever Kadisha. This is a sacred group that comes in and prepares the body for burial. They do a special bathing. They say special prayers. They dress them according to the, the rituals. And the beauty of this group is that they are sort of a secret group that most people don't realize they're on this team. And the reason for that is it is the one good deed that you can do for a person in which they can never thank you. Because that person who's passed can't thank you for being so gentle and taking care of them so lovingly. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember when we were talking on the phone, you kind of blurted out, passwords. Oh, yes. Passwords. Oh <laughs> I got to tell you a funny story. <laughs> passwords are huge. You know, everybody thinks, oh, I have all my legal documents in place. Everything's notarized. Everything's filed. What? Blah, 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 blah. Right. But the biggest thing they don't do is have a list with their passwords to all their accounts which can be horrendous, I know from experience, from losing my brother, my mother, and my father, to go through and try and work the systems and get the information that's needed. And all of a sudden, you find out, oh, there was an account I didn't know about or things like that. But a list of passwords are vital. But the funny story is, my brother-in-law, Art of Blessed Memory, had a file in his desk drawer, and it said, Art's dead. And he had instructed his son. I like the guy already. <laughs> well, he, you know, he is a brother to my, my husband, and you know my husband. <laughs> he had instructed his son that when the time came, and, you know, whether his health had declined so badly or whether he was gone, that everything he would need would be in that file. To me, that was one of the most loving acts he could mm -hmm. have given his child mm -hmm. or his family. Because everybody knew exactly what he wanted, where it was, how to get it, how to obtain it, what he'd have to go through. Was there a life insurance policy? Was there an investment account? Was there more than one bank account? You know, where would you find the deed on the house or the lease agreement to the, you know, apartment or home you're living in or, you know, all these different things. From my perspective, the more information you can provide your loved ones, the easier it will be on them to spend their time truly mourning you and not wrapped up in all the details. Art may be dead, but Art is totally alive in this conversation <laughs> because you're right. It's like when we look at the state of advanced care planning and the things that we need to do in order to be prepared to do what you're alluding to is that the person, their wishes, their directives are clear and that those of us who are left can act on them in a way that both remembers them and also, you know, adheres to what they wanted. You know, we're in a society these days where we know that a small percentage of us are prepared. 
And that's why these podcasts, you know, I think are going to be really important because we're going to be talking about these stories and what you learned in a situation, you know, based on a brother who was prepared and was clear. And, you know, and what we find in many situations is we find that people are in an end of life situation and their wishes aren't known. And while you have those of us who are, are left who are mourning and trying to figure things out, we then have to deal with the bureaucracy that comes with it. And so developing knowledge and information to be clear as we can on this is really important. And having the support to be able to put that together. And there are a lot of good organizations that do that and know that you can appreciate that in, in your work. I do greatly. And another thing that is really important for people to know is what are their burial wishes, if any? You know, some houses are divided, like mine, where I choose one avenue and my husband chooses another. One of my brothers-in-law chose one avenue, one chose another. And you have to make sure that you honor those people's wishes. It's so important that more information is out there. People often think that I'm too open with people because I'm an open book. I'll share anything with people about myself. Now, I'm very private and very closed mouth when it comes to my clients or certain things about the foundation that should not be made public, you know, things like that. But when it comes to myself, I'm an open book. So I, for one, have shared with a few friends what my personal wishes are at my end of life. And it's interesting because a friend of mine passed away recently that was young, only 61. And it was unexpected, but it took about a week from the beginning of the onset till the end. And this person and I had had multiple conversations on how we would want our health care to go should something happen. And when this person passed and I spoke to the spouse, the spouse said, boy, I hope I did what they really wanted. And that is when I told the spouse that I had had this conversation multiple times. You did exactly what was wanted. That made the spouse feel so much better. That lifted the level of grief so much because there was reassurance that the true wishes had been followed. Yeah. Things like advanced directives, powers of attorney, the idea of doing the work of support and preparation for loved ones, knowing the passwords, <laughs> as you say. Those... Don't forget about airline mileage. Don't forget about hotel rewards. Don't forget about some of these things. All of them come into play. And they a lot of times we don't in... see them coming. And, yeah. you know, and, and we're dealing with the loss and we just aren't prepared for that next death certificate that we need to submit to an insurance company or something else that helps you take care of a, a bureaucratic resolution. And it, it uh, impacts the mourning process, right? It does. Yeah, it? Betsy Gamberg, who, of course, you know, was talking to us about funeral wishes and things like that. And, and within the, the Jewish faith tradition, the idea of that lasting like a year in times in mm -hmm. terms of that tradition. And so... A lot of times we don't know exactly when illness is going to strike or death is going to strike, but the idea of coming up with ways in which we support one another in this process is really important. Wendy, talk to us uh, in particular about the impact of COVID in terms of the impact it's had on, on your work with seniors. That's really interesting because COVID hit right at the time that we were going to have our grant allocation meeting this year, which normally would be an in-face situation where the whole allocation team is together for a full day. Well, obviously, we couldn't do that because everybody was on lockdown. So like many people, we resorted to Zoom. We are all Zoomers now, and I think we're getting right. Zoomed out a little bit too. <laughs> the big thing is 
is all these seniors who have been served by all these organizations throughout North and South Carolina that we award grants to now had to find another way to serve this population. And they are the most needy of the group in these situations because so many of them are experiencing isolation and depression and all different types of things. So what was the natural alternative? Well, you convert to Zoom. But now you have a problem. Many of these seniors have no idea about technology. Some of them don't own a smartphone, let alone a computer or a tablet. So now you have to find a way to get these products out to them and teach them how to use it. And it's interesting because one senior that I know all of a sudden is slowly figuring out the Zoom and went online to some religious services. Oh my God, this is so wonderful. This helps them reconnect, helps them to be a part of everything, helps them to feel still connected to the outside world. That's really important to note. Extremely important. And I have to say that people have really risen to the occasion in finding ways and being creative in helping the senior population. I appreciate that you're with us and you're leaving us with a lot of good information sources. Got the Piedmont Triad uh, Regional Council Area Agency on Aging. You mentioned Mind My Health, Five Wishes, and there's some other uh, organizations that you've got, AuthorCare. We're going to have a number of different organizations that we're already interviewing, but we'll continue to be able to put together a good source of information for people and also continue to, to communicate all the good work they're doing in the community. Any last parting words in terms of just general advice related to advanced care planning and end-of-life issues and serious illness that you think might be helpful to the listeners? Don't be afraid to talk to your family, your designated representative, whomever you choose to be the one to carry out your wishes. Be open about it. Be honest about it. Tell them exactly what you want. I was fortunate going back to my family experience. I was able to ask my mother, what are your wishes? What do you want? A year before she passed. I mean, that made such a difference when it came to the day of. Mm -hmm. So that I could just be with my grief and not have to think about decisions. Well, thank you very much, Wendy Cutler. Wendy Cutler is the executive director of the Carolina Foundation for Jewish Seniors on the North Carolina Task Force of Serious Illness Care and Coalition. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. And I think this is a wonderful addition to our county that you are providing by producing these podcasts. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Good Grief Podcast. We want your feedback. You can visit our website at www.guilforddeeds.com. You can also email us at endoflife at guilfordcountync.gov or find us on Twitter with the handle at guilford underscore ROD. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and until next time, take care.